This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, a special extended edition of our program as we discuss and debate Venezuela. But first, Sierra Hancock has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Colombia's Supreme Court is calling for an official investigation of former President Alvaro Uribe. That call came after the court sentenced two of Uribe's former aides to long sentences connected to illegal domestic spying. The court said Uribe's aides had organized phone taps and other intelligence operations to spy on his political opponents and critical journalists. Uribe defended his aides to the media outside of the court. This is sad. They are honorable people. Those who have condemned them are confused. They were involved in anti-terrorist actions to improve national security. Why this persecution from the courts? This is a type of unpardonable confusion. The Supreme Court sentenced the former head of Colombia's intelligence agency to 14 years in prison, and Uribe's former chief of staff must serve eight years but on house arrest. The Supreme Court also sent its investigative report to Colombia's Congress for possible action against Uribe, who is now a senator. Argentina's Congress has agreed to pay compensation to the families of victims of the country's worst terrorist attack the bombing of the Jewish Community Center in Buenos Aires in 1994. That attack killed 85 people and wounded 300. The center was destroyed by a car bomb. Argentine prosecutors believe Lebanese terrorist group Hezbollah and the Iranian government were behind the bombing. So far, no one has been punished in connection with the bombing. The special prosecutor who handled the case was killed earlier this year in a case where the government has yet to rule if the death was a suicide or a murder. That prosecutor, Alberto Nisman, had accused the Argentine government of trying to cover up Iran's involvement in the attack in exchange for economic favors. Two Argentine courts have rejected those accusations, and Argentine prosecutors have now officially dropped any cover-up charges against the government. As if Venezuela didn't have enough shortages, now the country is rationing electricity. Venezuela has suffered through power outages for the past several years, but a heat wave has the government ordering further cutbacks of the electrical grid. This week, the government ordered state workers to cut back their official work hours so lights, air conditioning, and power could be cut to government offices a bit earlier than usual. Due to economic problems, the government claims it has not been able to keep up with maintenance issues for the national power grid. Venezuela is suffering through an economic depression, with inflation last reported at nearly 70 percent, the highest inflation rate in the world. A Venezuelan court this week sentenced two teenagers connected to the death of popular Venezuelan actress Monica Speer last year. Speer and her ex-husband were killed by a band of thieves when they resisted a robbery attempt after their car had broken down on a Venezuelan highway. The teens were sentenced to four years in prison for the killing. Earlier, Venezuelan courts had convicted three adults connected to the killings. They were given stiffer sentences ranging to as long as 26 years. Speer was a former Miss Venezuela who competed in the Miss Universe pageant and who starred in telenovelas. Her killing sparked protest against violence in the country, which led to a series of anti-government protests and riots that lasted for months in Venezuela last year. Venezuela has one of the worst homicide rates in Latin America, surpassed only by Honduras and El Salvador. Throw a piece of fruit at a president, and usually the consequences are harsh, but not for Marlene Olivo of Venezuela. Olivo tossed a mango at President Nicolas Maduro. She hit the president on the head, but instead of getting angry, he took a look at what she had written on the fruit, a plea for better housing for her family. After he got hit with the mango, Maduro went on national TV to make a promise to Olivo. I have approved, as part of our grand mission of Venezuela, our housing project, that you will get an apartment. We will get it for you in the next few hours. You will certainly get the new apartment before tomorrow is over. Olivo's bold act went viral on social media internationally. As for Maduro, after helping Olivo, he vowed to eat the mango that started the whole affair. 
For Latin Pulse, I'm Sierra Hancock. Thanks, Sierra. For the past three years, our program has made inquiries of the Venezuelan Embassy in Washington, D.C. to have an official representative of the Venezuelan government answer questions about the state of affairs between the United States and Venezuela, among other topics. The U.S. government and Venezuela have not exchanged ambassadors for the past five years. Venezuela appointed Maximilian Sanchez Arvales to the position of Charge de Affairs this past summer, and he has eight consulates that answer to him throughout the U.S. However, this week, one of those eight consul generals responded to our request for an interview with a representative of the Venezuelan government. We spoke to Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa, the consul general of Venezuela, via Skype from the consulate in Chicago. Here is our extended interview. I've been witnessing uh, the deterioration of the uh, bilateral diplomatic relations, especially between uh, the U.S. and Venezuela. And uh, in that sense, I have witnessed like four or five rounds of expelling of diplomats between the two countries. And as you say, like five years ago, uh, the Venezuelan government expelled the, the U.S. ambassador in Caracas in solidarity with a coup d'etat uh, that was uh, denounced by the Bolivian government uh, that also expelled uh, the U.S. ambassador. So we decided in solidarity with Bolivia to do the same. And of course, immediately after that, the U.S. government expelled our ambassador. And since then, we have been having like trouble uh, uh, diplomatic relations because not having an ambassador is a big issue. Uh, in order to have a regular diplomatic relations, that doesn't mean that we don't have diplomatic relations. We have an intense uh, and a, an important number of Venezuelan diplomats in the in the U.S. and the U.S. of course have a, an important number of of diplomats in Venezuela. So the, the the relation has been worsening, if you ask me. Since then, like uh, when Maduro took office in 2013, he immediately uh, asked for a dialogue with the U.S. government and proposed the name of Maximilian Sanchez Arbelaez. Uh, to be our ambassador in Washington, D.C. And because the U.S. government didn't want to approve his appointment, uh, we have to send him to Washington as Charles Affaire. Because uh, administratively talking, that was the easy way to have him at least start working here and waiting that uh, at some moment maybe the, the, the State Department or the White House decide if they want to appoint him as ambassador. So we are right now in that situation. And of course, uh, uh, the approval of the executive order in in March uh, a few weeks ago, I believe that it was uh, March the 9th, uh, has been put us in one of the worst uh, uh, moments in the bilateral and political relation with the U.S. because basically that executive order declared that we are like a threat to the U.S. and that wording and that legal wording, especially in the U.S., means a lot of things. And one of those things is, is that uh, at some point the U.S. can uh, initiate military actions uh, against Venezuela, like the ones that were, were recently applied towards Libya, for example. The, the, the executive order that was approved to Venezuela have the same wording that one that was approved against Libya a few weeks or days before uh, the invasion uh, led by NATO, but of course supported by the U.S. So these recent sanctions and what you call the executive order, which was an executive order that said that Venezuela is a national security threat to the United States. Yes. Your feeling is that those sanctions have decreased relations even worse than they were during the Bush administration? Yes. Since the first two or three years of Obama administration, we already realized that uh, the Obama administration was not going to mean a big change, at least uh, in terms of the 
foreign relations of the U.S. towards Latin America and especially uh, Venezuela. But uh, since then, uh, the scene is getting worse, and there is no doubt right now, at least for us, that the Obama administration has been uh, worse than the Bush administrations, at least in terms of the relations with Latin America and, and in our particular case, of course, with Venezuela. We've recently seen the Summit of the Americas where President Obama uh, was making grand overtures to Cuba. And, and there was a sense there that maybe the U.S. was backing away from at least the wording of those sanctions. Uh, I believe the president said that he didn't think that Venezuela was a direct threat. Yes, that's a good point because a lot of people, even among our friends, believe that, I mean, that, that Obama uh, withdraw the sanctions against Venezuela, but the truth is that, uh, the, I mean, the executive, the executive order is still there and uh, uh, that while I mean, while that executive order is still there, I mean, the threats uh, against our country is gonna be there. So, uh, in that sense, uh, we are still in a state of alert in Venezuela uh, because of that executive order, because that basically means that it's a, a close step to something worse. So, but, but it's true that during the summit of the Americas, the U.S. tried to try to make a, a, a as you say, a big uh, public relation campaigns, uh, having uh, uh, Cuba finally in the Soviet of the Americas. But I believe that that's something that the U.S. foreign policy couldn't avoid because. Not only, not only Venezuelan, but Latin American countries has been requesting that Cuba participate in those summits for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. So finally, the U.S. agreed to do that. And of course, we are very happy in the region, not only in, in, not only in the region, but in Venezuela, that, that uh, finally Cuba participated in international forums, uh, forums uh, uh, that somehow have the 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 signature of the U.S. like the summit of the Americas, but I, it's important to highlight that Cuba has been participating in other regional forums like CELAC or ALBA or different forums that has been created by Latin American countries precisely because the U.S. foreign policy towards the region has been very uh, lost, very uh, incongruent, if you ask me, for the last two or three decades. And I believe that, that that's a big problem for the U.S. If I could, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, recent news. The story that seems to be trending on Twitter that everyone is talking about this week is the woman who threw the mango at President Maduro, and now she has new housing. As somebody who's worked in housing in Venezuela, I, I wonder what you think about that story. Yes, I really, I didn't know that that was already uh, leaked to the U.S. media. Uh, but it's, uh, I, I, of course, watch and follow the social networks, uh, and, uh, and I saw a lot of opposition people in Venezuela making a big noise about that mango. But I've been trying to be clear. I have to follow uh, uh, President Maduro's speeches uh, all the time as much as possible because it's my work. And what no one says is that the day before those mangoes were thrown to Maduro, he was in a, in a public speech uh, and he highlighted that a woman in another part of the country uh, like throw a mango to him or give a mango to him uh, say uh, putting her cell phone number there and uh, asking him to call her and uh, I believe if you ask me that that was a trigger that uh, for, for the event that happened the day after when uh, like two or three people when he was inaugurating a new highway in the east side of Venezuela like they throw also uh, more mangoes to him with the same uh, with the same nature. I mean, it's important to highlight that because I believe that the right wingers has been trying to portray the scene in the opposite uh, of its nature. You know what I mean? I mean uh, the nature actually somehow Maduro encouraged 
uh, highlighting the, the incident uh, of the mango with this woman uh, the day before encouraged other people to throw mangoes to him. But uh, he highlighted that because he find it very uh, different and funny and, and nice, you know, that people try to reach him in different ways. And, and this woman uh, in Aragua State give him, I mean, uh, gives, uh, give her that mango with her cell phone and asking him to call her. And that woman was the one that was having a problem of housing. And, 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 and the same day, he said that he already asked uh, the authorities related to housing in Venezuela to put her in a list to have a house. I believe that that's what you are saying, basically. If I could, I'd like to move on to some other news that's happened this week. Um, the mayor of Caracas, Antonio Ledesma, is uh, on house arrest after a, um, an operation. And uh, this is, raises the case of the mayor and 32 other opposition mayors who uh, are under some charge in Venezuela. You, you mentioned the opposition. Some in the opposition would say that this is a government tactic since there are local and regional elections coming later this year. Uh, what are your thoughts about the fact that international human rights groups have condemned some of these charges, especially about containing yes. Ledesma and imprisoning him. Yes, what I have to tell you is that uh, human rights in Venezuela has never been as respected as now. And I'm, I always touch my heart when I say that because I saw what happened before Chavez times, now Maduro's government, and I seen what is, has been happening in recent years uh, especially during the Bolivarian Revolution, and there's no point of comparison between the, those two periods in terms of how the state relates to human rights, to the protection of human rights. So I believe that that's the first thing that I have to say. And uh, uh, and then going to the questions about my, my, uh, Mayor Ledesma, I believe that first we have to talk about Mayor Cap, um, uh, Leopoldo Lopez. I mean, he, he was not major, but he was one of the leaders of the, of the opposition, the right-wing opposition that we have in Venezuela. And he was also jailed uh, because of what was called here in the media in the U.S., the, you know, uh, Pacific student protest of last year that basically led to the killing of 40-something people, most of them... Uh, like 75% uh, law enforcement officers or past buyers, non-related to the opposition. And during those protests, we also, because that protest have the intention to promote also a coup d'etat, we put in jail uh, around six or seven, you know, uh, uh, intermediate uh, Venezuelan military officers. And we released like two or three of them because there was not enough evidence against them. But of course, there was a, 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 an investigation is still running that keep them under surveillance. And that surveillance allowed us to unveil a coup d'etat that was made public like in February, a few weeks before the executive order was approved by President Obama. And in that, uh, in that, in that particular moment, we put like nine new um, military officers in jail because they, 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 there was this plan that was on bail of uh, promoting riots and even using military planes to bomb some places in Venezuela, even some media outlets like Telesur, for example. And there were proof uh, links between those uh, military officers and Major Ledesma. Uh, and because of that, we put him in jail. Maybe for some people here in the U.S., it's not easy to understand that an elected official might be uh, put in jail, but I believe that it's not easy also to understand here in the U.S. that uh, an elected official might be trying to uh, uh, promote a coup d'etat against the president. So that's what is happening. I mean, we are having some right-wingers, uh, uh, elected officials that we have in Venezuela because we are a democracy and we still have a lot of mayors and governors from the opposition in Venezuela 
uh, that uh, are not in jail because they are not participating in included tasks or trying to destabilize the government, and that's fine for us. But what is not fine is to uh, allow anyone to try to, you know, disrupt democracy just because they believe that the only way to get rid of Maduro's president or the Bolivarian Revolution is through uh, promoting a coup d'etat. Mr. Consul General, one of the important points I think that human rights organizations have brought up and critics of the Venezuelan government have brought up is they feel that the government is slipping from a democratic state to an authoritarian state. We see magazines like The Economist use that term, Venezuela slipping toward authoritarianism. So do you have a response to them? Yes, I believe that I already with what I said uh, uh, answered that question. Uh, I believe that that's not new anyway. I believe that that happened during Chavez government and they keep repeating uh, using the media outlets that they control not only here but in Venezuela and other parts of the world that we are a, a dictatorship and if you ask a regular person that I know is not very well informed they will tell you that Venezuela is a dictatorship or something like that which is something very far from the truth because in Venezuela we has had has been having several elections almost 19 elections 19 elections in, 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 in 18 years of revolution, and those elections has been monitored by people within Venezuela and from outside, and no one has found ever proofs of uh, wrongdoing, in the, I mean, the, of elections and not representing the, 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 the people's, you know, voice. Uh, Is this a question that you get quite a bit in the United States? Yes, yes, yes. That happened a lot, and, and we are learning to deal with that. So, so I mean, we try anyway to to give the other part of the story, which is what I just told you. We'll return to our conversation with Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa, the Consul General of Venezuela for Chicago, in a moment. This is Tom Scared for the Borgen Project. Each year, nearly two million children die from preventable diseases. Each day. 30,000 people die from hunger. 500 each hour are children. The Borgen Project is turning this around. We need your help. To learn more, go to borgenproject.org. That's B-O-R-G-E-N project.org. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. And now we resume our Skype conversation with Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa, the Consul General of Venezuela in Chicago. Let me talk a little bit about other news from Venezuela this week. Uh, We have the news that uh, the government has announced uh, electricity rationing, and that means government workers are going to work a little less every part of the week. I think this is uh, something else that people in the United States have a hard time understanding with all of the oil and other resources that Venezuela has, why there have to be this sort of rationing. Any country have problems, you know what I mean? If I'm going to 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 explain why we as a government do this and that, it's like asking any problem. It's like asking the U.S. to answer questions about all the problems that happen in this country, and and and, and people wonder what those things are happening. Uh, so, in in the sense of that particular, trying to answer your question, disregarding what I just said. Uh, mm, Basically, I mean, we have a problem of big uh, hot season. I mean, we have a something in particular right now for the last, I don't know, two or three weeks, uh, 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 an increase, an incredibly increase in the in the in the temperature of, of most of the country. So the demand of electricity has been raising beyond what is accepted by the government to avoid problems of interruption in the electricity and responsibly the government has announced some measures to try to avoid uh, like the, the some disruption in the electricity service uh, and basically something related mostly to public servants, servants working in, in ministries and in offices that are not in the productive area or not in the security areas, you know, the what is called public servants, employees, 
and basically what was done is to move the the, the time of working uh, uh, early in the morning and reduce the timing for lunch. I mean, eliminating the timing for lunch and that way people are going to work almost the same way, but uh, without the lunch uh, break because they are supposed to be uh, leaving office at one city uh, in the in the in the in the afternoon. So basically, that's what happened. A lot of people might criticize that and say that we are not investing in this. But, but the truth is that we have been investing a lot of money in strengthening the electricity system, and we have been building actually. Um, uh, wind mills in Venezuela to try to promote other sources different than the hydroelectrical plants that we uh, have been, uh, you know, building in Venezuela for decades. So, so, and the government has criticized because that gives us a lot of dependency on the levels of water uh, and 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 all the you know ecological implications of those, of those big dams and the constructions of, of those hydroelectrical plants, so it's complicated. But I believe that the government responsibly is trying to avoid uh, uh, problems in the distribution of electricity. One of the greatest challenges that your country has right now is inflation. I believe the official inflation rate was pegged recently at sixty eight percent. We have the Bank of America predicting that it will be 200% by the end of the year. What is the reason for this inflation? Uh, that's a complex question. I mean, Venezuela has been an inflation country for the last two or three decades. And actually, when you compare how the inflation has been behaving during the Bolivarian Revolution and before the Bolivarian Revolution, I mean, talking about Chavez time and Maduro time, uh, you can see that during this recent period, the inflation has is, has been behaving better than in previous periods. That's something important to say because they say that the, the media tend to try to sometimes to say that we have been creating a chaos in the economy or something like that. And the truth is, it's a fact that you can watch anywhere. Uh, that when you analyze the inflation numbers of Venezuela before Chavez, the situation was worse. Of course, in recent years, the situation has been getting uh, more complicated, and we had like two years ago an inflation of 30 or 40 percent, and last year an inflation of 33 percent, I believe. Uh, and I believe that this year is going to be high, and it's related, if you ask me, mostly to. Uh, the problem created by the exchange control, currency exchange control system that we have, uh, but also the manipulation of, you know, private corporations and companies that still control part of the, of the, of the distribution and production chain in Venezuela, that also use that to try to promote uh, an increase in prices that always helps them but also to have people mad at, uh, at the government because they think that people are going to believe that everything is responsibility of the government uh, when it goes to, the, uh, to these issues. But the truth is that most of the Venezuelan, because what we have been living for the last 15 years, are not buying everything that media in Venezuela or outside Venezuela said and that's something that is, I believe that is important to highlight because that's why we still have uh, an important support from the Venezuelan population disregarding and the economic situation that is not the best and that is getting worse because the oil prices and anyone uh, uh, and no one can deny the impact that having low oil prices have in economies like the Venezuelan. I'd like to get to the situation of the media in a moment, but um, first, the issue of economics. President Maduro has said that this is all a result of an economic war, and this is part of the allegations against the United States about also being part of manipulation. Yes, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. I mean, the, 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 the private companies, Venezuelans, and international corporations that do business in Venezuela, 
uh, control part of the production, not only the production, uh, you know, chain, but the, the distribution chain. And sometimes they, they uh, prefer to hide some goods uh, uh, in order to create an artificial scarcity that put a, a, a pressure on the prices uh, that helps them then at some point rise the prices because that's what they always want. And also that they do that trying to uh, trying to have people mad at the government. But as I told you, I mean, there's a lot of people that do not buy the the the, the media matrices that says that everything related to the uh, uh, the scarcity that we have in certain goods or the inflation is uh, something that has to be 100% uh, uh, blame of the government. Let's talk about the media situation in Venezuela. You have been part of a group of people trying to influence alternative media in the country. I, I'm wondering how you see the state of the media in Venezuela now. I mean, in what sense? Uh, I, 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 if you ask me about how the alternative media has been spending in the country, it's incredible. I mean, the, during the Bolivar Revolution, the alternative media, I mean, I'm talking about commun communal radios, uh, alternative websites, and, and uh, local TV stations has been spreading all over the country. Uh, and that's important. I believe that is not enough, if you ask me. And I have a lot of people that uh, are from the progressive uh, glassroot organizations related to that movement. And they applaud what is happening, but they still have some uh, needs, some requests that are not being addressed by the government. So, so there's always this, you know, contradiction or confrontation between confrontation between, between glassroot organizations, even the progressive ones, and the government. And from the other perspective, I mean, now, now talking about mass media, uh, I can tell you that disregarding what the government has been trying to do uh, in promoting different ways of ownership of the media, uh, the majority of the control of the media in Venezuela is in hands of private co companies, private corporations that do not represent the interests of the government. And, uh, for example, in terms of newspapers, I mean, there's like one or two... Uh, relatively big newspapers in Venezuela that belongs to the government and if you ask me about percentages I might tell you that that represents that like I mean in in the newspaper industry uh, uh, the private control over that area is like 90 or 95 percent if you ask me uh, uh, if you ask me about radio I believe that we don't have more than 40 percent of the spectrum and the private ones are the ones that have more uh, share of the audience. You know what I mean? I mean, you can have, you can do different analysis about those things. You can, I mean, for example, we can, we might have like ten, uh, uh, like one hundred uh, stations that the that, that are public stations, but maybe you have two private stations that have ninety percent of the share. So that's basically what happened in Venezuela. Uh, and the same thing with the, the TV. We have, as government, trying to promote and create new TV outlets. But the truth is that private corporations have uh, the share uh, of the private corporations that control TV stations uh, are, if you ask me, somewhere around 60 or 70 percent of the of the share. So, so they always say that we have some sort of dictatorship and, and that we. Uh, control the media in Venezuela, but the fact and the true uh, objective analysis uh, says the contrary. Of course, we try to promote our true, our perspective about what happened in Venezuela, but from the other side, we have the private media that try to uh, sell the values that are usually sold by private corporations like Univision or Telemundo here that are not the most socialistic ones. So. What we try to build from one side is it is destroyed from the other side with the values that are being, you know, broadcast or sailed by private corporations in Venezuela. I take it that you're referencing Venevision in that particular case. Mm -hmm. Yes, Venevision, uh, Televen, uh, uh, those are the biggest uh, 
Venezuelan companies related to uh, enhance of private corporations. When we talk about alternative media, the website aporea.org often is brought up. Uh, what was your involvement in getting that started? Yes, I was uh, invited uh, to participate uh, in the editorial board of that uh, website in like in 2003, I believe, 2004, almost a few months after the website started. And that's why, because I was participating actively in trying to uh, spread uh, a different uh, perspective about what was happening in Venezuela during the coup d'etat of 2002 against Hugo Chavez. And somehow, for in different ways, I get involved, more and more and more involved with the group, and they invite me to participate as an editorial member of, of that organization, of that website. And, and we have been, I believe, that trying to do something different, um, presenting a different perspective about what happened in Venezuela, defending the Bolivarian Revolution, but also criticizing if there are problems in the Bolivarian Revolution. But if you ask me, uh, in recent months, the, the grouping has been uh, expressing more radical views that reflects the, the more ex, uh, extreme left uh, part of the grouping and I publicly has been letting them know and letting everyone that knows me know that I don't share uh, that perspective that sometimes touch the, I mean, uh, shake hands with the left, with the right uh, extremist. So I believe that uh, if you ask me, I'm in that part of the spectrum in terms of Aporreya. Let me ask you about one other media story that seems to be going on right now. We have uh, Diosdado Cabello, the head of the National Assembly, accused by several media outlets in Venezuela of uh, being part of a group of uh, military officers that have connections to drug dealing. I, I wonder what you think about that story and the fact that uh, Diosdado Cabello has taken those folks to court. Well, what does that say about... Um, um, the system and the ability of media to still criticize members of the government. Yes, I believe that that ability of the media is never going to stop, especially because it it, it also is being fed uh, from abroad. Actually, most of the uh, accusations against Yoslao Cabellos came from El País, I believe, from Spain, uh, that took some declarations from some military defector... Uh, and that uh, is living in, in the U.S., something like that, without any kind of proof, without anything, just trying to, uh, to, to create an international matrix of uh, uh, demonization of the Bolivarian Revolution. That is something that they need in the dossier that they need to create to, at some point, uh, attack us or invade us so that's basically I mean that's a recipe that's not something new I mean that has been done against Cuba and a lot of countries that at some point uh, are attacked by the interests of the of the imperialist forces around the world not only in the US it's stupid because the majority of the Venezuelans uh, admire what Josao Cabello has been doing especially since Chavez I mean, uh, uh, since Chavez said Maduro has been instrumental as president of the National Assembly, which is the Venezuelan con Congress, uh, to somehow be a hand uh, with hand, uh, I don't know how you say that in English, hand and hands with Maduro. I mean, they, they work like, a, like partners uh, uh, defending the Bolivarian Revolution, and I believe that that's important. Mano a mano. Mano a mano, yes. I tried to translate that, but I forgot how to do it. Well, there have been cases of problems with drugs in Venezuela. I'm thinking specifically of the Air France case, 1.3 tons of cocaine sent between Venezuela and France. And obviously there are members of the National Guard who are uh, on trial connected with this. So, so there have been issues of drugs and drug problems in Venezuela. Yes, yeah, like anywhere in the world. 
like anywhere in the world and at the end during those investigations of that particular case of Air France at the end of the day there were a, a lot of uh, traces of a connection of the DEA with the whole case if you ask me so so sometimes they frame uh, situations to try or they create artificial situations to, to try to create the environment the, the proper environment to later do something like the things that they did against Jorge Cabello, but it's true that like in any other country, uh, we have problems of drug uh, trafficking, uh, but I don't believe, if you ask me, that we are, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems that we have in Venezuela or that have uh, a, a big impact on other countries because actually in recent years, the numbers of uh, measures taken by the government to eradicate the traffic I, I really actually we were criticized a few months ago because we were uh, dropping uh, airplanes passing through our airspace uh, and they were accusing us of being uh, abusive or being uh, totalitarians and, and I mean we have been taking several measures to try to eradicate uh, uh, or reduce at least the, 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 the transit of drugs, which is just a part of a big problem that is basically created in the U.S. and in Europe with the high consumption of drugs that you have here in your countries. So let me clarify, Mr. Consul General, you're saying that the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration had something to do with the Air France case. Yes, I mean, I don't believe, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not an expert on those things, but those are the things that I read uh, during uh, those days of the investigation when, and after following the case. I mean, the investigation in Venezuela at some point point to people related to the DEA, and that's not something new. I mean, uh, sometimes the EA uh, create uh, the, 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 the tr some traffic uh, networks in order to, you know, for political reasons, but also to, I mean, I mean, a lot of people say that the EA is one of the biggest carter of drugs in the world, and I believe that that's partially true, because they promote the traffic of drugs sometimes for their interest trying to dismantle something bigger, or also for political interest. And, and that's something that we have been discussing in Venezuela since 1999 when Chavez decided not to allow the EA flights from Aruba and Curaçao over Venezuela. And that's when we, a few months after that, we expelled the DEA from Venezuela. And of course, uh, that was one of the first uh, escaramuzas we say in Spanish uh, between the US and, and 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 Venezuelan government anything else that you'd like to add sir I just want to highlight how important for us is to have the understanding of the US people uh, in Venezuela we are a peaceful country I mean Venezuela never have had any kind of war with no one in more than 200 years of history as a republic. And the only time when Venezuelan government, uh, a Venezuelan military crossed our border was not to invade or conquer, but to liberate other countries in South America from the Spanish Empire. What I'm trying to tell you is that we are peaceful, but if someone mess with, with us, uh, they will find us. And, and I believe that that's what I'm trying to tell you uh, when I talk about uh, the, how peaceful we are, but how uh, important was Venezuelan army in the expelling of the Spanish, of the Spanish part in the region. So in that sense, I, I just want to reiterate that we are peaceful people and that we need solidarity, especially from the progressive uh, uh, organizations here in the U.S., uh, because there are a lot of lies uh, uh, said uh, they every second against Venezuela in the U.S. Thank you so much. Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa, the Consul General of the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, joining us via Skype from Chicago today on Latin Pulse. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the invitation. All the media matrices that are there against Venezuela, you bring them out. So... So maybe we forgot to talk a little bit more about the, oh, the good things that we are doing. But anyway, 
it's also important to address those uh, mat negative matrices that always are there. Just some clarification now regarding the accusations that the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration may have had any connection to the Air France cocaine case. During the investigation of the case, Venezuela lodged official complaints with France about allegations the Venezuelan military was involved in the smuggling. It was President Nicolas Maduro who first suggested that the U.S. DEA may have been involved to cast Venezuela in a bad light. When Venezuela asked French investigators whether the Drug Enforcement Administration could have been involved, French investigators said they could not rule out that possibility, but investigators added that they had no proof of that one way or another. Venezuela has charged four National Guard members in the smuggling case. And one more footnote to our interview, a word of thanks to one of our longtime listeners in the Kansas City area who helped us arrange this interview with the Consul General in Chicago. Coming up, Venezuela asks for solidarity and understanding from the left, but some take a different view. We'll hear from that point of view in a moment. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Often those on the political left feel one political litmus test of ideological loyalty is how much someone supports Venezuela. For example, take this recent excerpt of an interview with Noam Chomsky, on Russia's RT cable network about the Obama administration's economic sanctions against Venezuela. These were the two measures that were announced at the same time. Steps towards normalization of relations with Cuba, further sanctions against Venezuela, along with this formula about a, uh, a threat to the national security, etc., of the United States, which of course is absurd. And it has elicited a, quite a reaction. So that at the Panama uh, 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 summit, which just took place, uh, uh, there were quite mixed reactions. But lately, some on the left are having second thoughts. James Bloodworth is the editor of leftfootforward.org, a website with a left-wing political view. But in a recent article for the liberal British publication, The New Statesman, Bloodworth took a different tack when it comes to Venezuela. We spoke to Bloodworth from London via Skype. There was a coup in 2002 against the late president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, and there was some evidence that, that the, the United States um, was, was involved in some way in that coup, if only in supporting opposition figures in Venezuela who, who intended to violently overthrow and partially did overthrow the government of Venezuela. Ever since then... Uh, the Venezuelan government has cracked down significantly on, on human rights in Venezuela and it's used the excuse of the coup um, in doing this. Um, so, for example, it's the Venezuelan government has closed down almost all independent uh, television stations. Um, if we, to quote, for example, Amnesty International, um, human rights defenders in Venezuela have, have been attacked by, by government supporters with the, the tacit compliance of the government. Um, any protest now in Venezuela has to be pre-authorized by, by the authorities. And just last year in big student protests, big anti-government student protests, um, those responsible for the deaths of 43 people um, and also reported torture of hundreds more, um, those figures in the government have never been brought to justice. So, so to, to, to sum up, it's the government in Venezuela has presided um, over a, a real crackdown on human rights, things that we in the West would consider basic human rights. Um, and I, I feel like, as, as someone who is on the left, that it's our duty as, as, as leftists to, to speak out about this. Why do you think that many in the left have a particularly consolidated opinion when it comes to Venezuela? That they would actually criticize this particular interview as as falling out with the leftist thought about how Venezuela has been oppressed by the United States. 
I think on the one hand, I don't think you need to, similarly with, with someone like Cuba, which is, is a similar case to, to Venezuela in some ways, and it's also um, the Castro brothers in, in Cuba have, have very clearly inspired um, uh, Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro in some ways, which they, they publicly admit. Um, and if you, go, if you look at the case of Cuba, it's, you know, we don't need to deny that, that the United States and the West more generally has played an unpleasant role in, in Cuban history. So, for example, in propping up um, brutal uh, dictatorships. Um, there's no need to, to apologize for that or make excuses for it. But then the left is supposed to be better than that. So if you have, say, the Castro dictatorship in Cuba, um, the left should condemn that. It, it shouldn't just look at things in terms of what's considered right and left and make excuses for something. And I think a similar, a similar logic applies in Venezuela, simply because there was a right-wing coup in 2002 and because the United States, under, especially under George, George W. Bush, was very hostile to Hugo Chavez. I don't see why that means, therefore, that, that people on the left should make excuses for egregious practices of, of the Venezuelan government. It doesn't seem, those two things don't really seem to, to go together. Um, we are, in, in my opinion, as someone who's on the left, we are supposed to be uh, better, hold ourselves to a higher standard. Therefore, we should be even more critical when someone claiming to fly the, the kind of left-wing flag or the flag of socialism or etc., when they commit these, these uh, abuses. I think some folks are unaware that there have been left-wing dictatorships in Latin America, mostly in the 19th century, but, but there is a history of that. And so you have talked about Venezuela falling into authoritarianism. Do you, do you think Venezuela is there now? It's been approaching that point for for quite a for quite a while now, but I think the process has sped up recently. Um, with with kind of events on the ground have sped it up. So you've seen increasing protests. You've seen increasing discontent over the the real mismanagement of the Venezuelan economy, and that's been exacerbated by the recent fall in the oil price. So you've seen kind of hardships. Really, um, hardship has really grown in Venezuela, and you've seen a subsequent kind of discontent amongst the population and then the government has responded to that by by stepping up uh, a level of repression i'd say venezuela now is it's in a similar place to 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 russia in terms of it's very different systems but in terms of it being a democracy it's it has the facade of democracy but you know there's a there's a lot more to democracy than simply going to to the polls every every few years to cast a vote it, democracy involves giving the opposition a platform allowing protest um a free press for example and and perhaps most importantly not harassing um government critics and and making them feel like their their life or their, their well-being is in danger which isn't true in in either venezuela or somewhere like russia if you're a critic of the government um often you can be in in danger um, of arbitrary arrest or being attacked by government supporters um i wouldn't call again i wouldn't quite call venezuela a dictatorship but it's it's certainly an autocracy we certainly have seen um the mayor of caracas antonio ledesma uh imprisoned uh 32 other mayors who face charges uh, is this also a tactic that you see as part of that autocracy yes and it's it's also um it doesn't always have to be i mean there are the big cases you hear of of opposition figures being arrested and thrown in jail. There, there's also the day-to-day -day harassment where, again, I think the Venezuelan authorities have learned something from Cuba where people are picked up and arrested. In Cuba, it's very common. People are picked up by the police um, and arrested um, just for a short period of time, so so for two, three days. But it's, it's, it's as a warning. Um, because Cuba's abolished habeas corpus, um, for example, for, for many years, um, similar situation in Venezuela uh, prevails where dissidents can be arrested for several days, um, not really told what they're arrested for, although, although they tend to know it's, it's opposition to the authorities. And that's, that's taken as a warning um, by them not to continue their, their action against the government. We've seen these recent economic sanctions against Venezuela put forth by the Obama administration here in the United States. The Venezuelans have reacted by saying that that shows the example of how the United States is still imperialist, how it still is 
is fighting an economic war against Venezuela. Do you have some opinion about that particular dispute? Um, I think in some ways, I think the sanctions are a, a, a bad policy move um, in that it gives uh, the Venezuelan government that excuse to, to talk to the to, to again wave the flag of imperialism. Similarly, um, aside from the moral um, moral considerations, I think again in, in Cuba the I think the embargo has very been a very poor um, idea because it's very poor policy because it's again allowed for, for fifty years the Castro brothers to stand up and say um, claim to be fighting against you know Yankee imperialism. It's only a few high-profile individuals involved in the suppression of last year's protests. It's only those people who are sanctioned, but it gives the Venezuelan government this excuse to, to again, crack down on dissent. I wonder, because you've stated these views fairly forcefully in print and on the web recently, whether those on the left have taken pot shots at you for uh, breaking with what tends to be the the solidarity toward Venezuela. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of used to it, used to this kind of thing now. As I've been writing about this for a few years. But yes, it's it, it kind of in some ways it proves the old mantra that the while the right looks for converts, the left looks for traitors. So apparently, my speaking out me, um, makes me a kind of in in some quarters at least makes me a, a traitor for the cause. Whereas, but I would see it as, as as the opposite. In fact, I mean, as I've mentioned, I think it's important on the left if you call yourself um, a socialist that we we hold ourselves to higher standards. I mean, we're supposed to be the whole point. In, in to my mind of of social democracy and socialism is to to create a better society and and if if socialism social democracy are to have any future it means leaving behind the horrors of the 20th century where repressive regimes repressive governments were supported um, by many leftists in the west simply because they raised the red flag and they looked over the the the, the kind of human rights abuses and history is when history isn't very isn't kind to people who do that. People that were that have been called useful idiots. History isn't kind to those people. We've certainly seen the Venezuelans also use more and more in the past eighteen months the secret police, the Sabine, in in trying to repress protests and repress mayors and others who take the opposition view. Is is that also not a flag of human rights concerns? They, they've learned this, 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 these tactics from the Cuban dictatorship. Uh, Romero Valdez, who was the interior minister in Cuba in the early 60s, when there was really widespread uh, repression of, of homosexuals, of religious believers, of dissident leftists, of trade unionists in Cuba. He's been in Venezuela um, in recent years shoring up the security apparatus for first president chavez and and more recently nicolas maduro it's they they are following the path that the security apparatus apparatus in cuba trod uh, many years ago and the, i wouldn't say similar consequences but comparable consequences we've seen kind of dissidents um harassed by the government um just to as I, I've mentioned recently, Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch have had some, some real concerns. Thank you so much, James Bloodworth, the editor of Left Foot Forward, our guest today on Latin Pulse, joining us via Skype from London. Thank you. To read more of James Bloodworth's views, you can check out his website, leftfootforward, all one word, dot org. Bloodworth's work can be found in various notable British publications, including the New Statesman, the Independent, and The Guardian. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of Latin Pulse on Venezuela. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and we're also now available via the podcasting service called Stitcher. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. 
That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team. Production assistant Sierra Hancock and producer Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>